The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church and uh, Happy New Year to all of you. I uh, was thinking about, like, we make these New Year's resolutions, right? <laughs> so mine, like, I don't know, I don't, I don't really get into that part, but I, when, when the New Year rolls around, I'm like, well, what's one thing I want to try to accomplish. And so I think this is, is one I'm going to work on, um, is uh, I'm going to buy an Alexa, Amazon Echo, whatever thing, only for shopping, like only for grocery shopping, because we just, man, we just burn through stuff, and we're always like getting frustrated that we don't have X, Y, Z. And I found out that um, that Amazon is actually putting in, like they're going to here locally in the near future, they're going to deliver perishable items, you know, like milk and stuff. So that's that's going to be awesome. I'm hoping that it doesn't cost too much, but but I I'm I'm, I'm I think that's where I'm going to kind of try to accomplish this year. I'm a little worried because I did talk to the guys. I haven't bought one yet, and they, they you know, it will recognize my kids' voices too. So Joel will be like, Alexa, order some Oreos. Alexa, order more Oreos. And so I'm a little worried about that. That's kind of one of the things I'm going to uh, try to accomplish this year to take a little bit of the load of shopping uh, off of uh, Abby and try to do my part. Uh, hopefully you have some commitments that you're, you're going to try to achieve. I, I'm not much of a gamer, like a video gamer. I grew up in, uh, I, you know, I came into this world in, in 1970. And so somewhere about 77 we got our first video game, and it was this console thing. You hook up to the TV, and it had like a rectangle with a wheel on it. <laughs> and there was a little dot that would go across the TV, and it was called TV Tennis. Do you have one of those? Raise your hand if you had one of those. All right, a few of you. And you had little lines, and you just had to go boop, 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 boop. And if you could line them up real good, it'd go boop, 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 boop. And you try to lock it up. And then a little bit later, and that was the first video game that I remember. I mean, I think before that it was pinball, and then that stuff started coming. And then, man, like in the 80s, like the Atari came out. Like the Atari. But it had one joystick. And you hold it in your hand, it was a square, and it had one button, okay? And so you play, and you just, you know, left, right, up, down. Left, right, up, down. And you really didn't need the left a whole, in a whole lot of the games because most of the games just went, like, forward, okay? So, so you just needed to go one direction. It's pretty simple, and it was basically, it, it amounted to, like, one game was like, what game is that? That's what I'm talking about right there. And then, and then <laughs> and so they, you would try to shoot all these things, and they would just move faster and faster and faster, and, and that was it. And so this year, like the, the boys uh, last year got them an Xbox One. And so this year I bought them NBA 2K18. And I've been trying to play a little bit with them, not because I really want to uh, be a gamer, but it's something I can do with them. And uh, so here's the Xbox controller. <laughs> it has a left and a right. It has a right trigger, a left trigger, a right button, a left button, an X button, an A button, a Y button, a B button. Another thing over here, I'm not sure what you'd do with it. And like, like I'm like trying to play this game and I, I, I'm like, man, what happened to this, you know? 
And it's so frustrating because the, like the, the game will do all of these things. Like you can like run plays, you can do these crazy dunks. And like, I just like, I'll play for a little bit and then I just start pushing all of them like this. Just hoping something good comes out. But the, 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 the idea of what I'm trying to work on right now is to be able to enjoy the game, I need to learn how it works. And so I like to do a little practice thing and do that little session where um, LeBron James will teach you how to do a few moves and I'm trying to learn them and I, don't, I forget them. But the more that I play, the more that I can remember and my, my muscle memory and my brain, like everything starts working together and I start to remember some moves, okay? And so I'm, I'm learning how to play it. And the more that I can retain, the more I could enjoy it. And so um, I, I'm one of these dads, like, like I don't let my kids beat me in anything, but they are doing good right now. <laughs> and so they're just slamming me, you know. Uh, and, and, and so like, I, but I'm trying to figure it out. And the more that I can understand how it works, the more that I can um, enjoy the game and playing with them and hopefully one day be able to beat them. But I fear that they, um, you know, they, they've got it down because all the games are kind of like the same. You know, they may, uh, there may be a shooter game, there may be a different sports game, but I think there's kind of like, Xbox always uses the certain buttons in a certain pattern to do certain things. Now, obviously, you got to learn them, but at least you know your way around on the control. I don't know my way around. And so like, the, what, I, what I like about it is, is there's this consistency with it. Well, last week we, when we were in, or last time we were in Ephesians, we were talking about how image is everything. And Paul talked about we're made in the image of God, and we need to bear that image out and, and walk it out in our lives. Well, this week as I was unpacking um, this passage of Scripture beginning in chapter 2 of Ephesians, I think Paul is showing us, man, this is how this works. Like, this is how it works. And you got to get this down. And if you don't get it down, you're just running through life, pushing a lot of buttons, and you don't know what you're doing, and you're just hoping that things work out right. But Paul is saying, look, here's a little bit of a tutorial about how this thing works when it comes to following Christ as, as your Savior, as your Lord, and trying to lead a life to where you are doing what Brent talked about. You're loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and you're loving your neighbor like you love yourself. And so he, he, he begins to unpack it. And for the first thing he teaches us about how it works is he's like, dear church, sin works against us. Like, like if you want to know how this thing works when it comes to following Jesus, you have to understand that sin works against people. It works against you, it works against me, it works against everybody in the world. Whether they are a part of the kingdom of Christ or not, sin is constantly working against people. Look at what um, uh, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Some translations say at that deserving of wrath, they say we we're objects of wrath. I think the English Standard Version says we are children of wrath. We were children of wrath. And so we look at this, and we, the first thing that we learn about how faith works, when we talk about the, the faith of Christianity, how it works, is that 
that um, there is something real working against us. And we see that there's a difference between people. There are people who were, uh, and Paul, again, remember, Paul is writing to the church. And he's saying, dear church, and this, this is not a, a, a letter to address a problem. It's just like instructions. And he's saying, basically, in this passage, there are two types of people. There are people who are in the kingdom and people who are not in the kingdom. And, and he's saying that people who are unsaved, we talk a lot about, you know, you need to get saved. Like, what does that mean? Why do we talk about that so much? Because it's all over the Bible. I can't hardly open up a page of the New Testament and read very far where it's talking about salvation from our sins and meeting Christ or being born again. And so as Paul's lining this out, he's, ma- he's drawing some very clear um, instructions for us and he's showing us that unsaved people, so people who do not know God, unsaved people are dead to God. Like they're dead so we'd like to look at everybody and go, well, you know, God is interacting with everybody. This says you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So, so unsaved people are dead to God and cannot respond to spiritual stimuli. Now, what does that mean? Well, if we, if we had a loved one pass away and we gathered for a visitation and people come to see us and their, their casket was in the room and they were in there, we could be having conversations about them, we could um, say things, but they cannot respond to our physical stimuli because they're dead. Like nothing, like you can walk up, you could smile at them, they cannot smile back. You can touch them, they cannot touch you back. There's nothing they can respond to to physical stimulation because they are dead physically. Their spirit has left their body, so they are dead to us. And this teaches us that when we are unsaved, we are dead to God. We are incapable of responding to spiritual stimuli. So this is very important for us to understand when we're interacting with people who do not know God because we need to understand that like, they, they're unsaved. They don't know God. They're not going to experience things in life the same way that we are. And so like when the Bible talks about not judging people, like not judging the way they live, this is like they, they are incapable of living and being obedient to the Lord like a saved person because they are dead to God and cannot respond to spiritual stimuli. So if we go back to the illustration of the person in the, in the casket and, and we go up at them and we smile at them and they don't smile back, we, it would be ludicrous for us to go, how rude. Like that, that would be judgment. So a, a, an unsaved person, it's the same thing. Like, like they can't, when, when we think and talk about how we are being obedient to Christ and we're following hard after him or we're in the word and we're, we're reading the word and we look at them and like, well, why aren't, well, how could you treat anybody like that? They can't respond to spiritual stimuli the way that we can. And so the, the, the way that Paul is trying to get us to see is, is that we are no longer walking that way. We are alive to God and we are not dead to him anymore. We can respond to spiritual stimuli. The second thing that Paul says in these first few verses is that un, unsaved people are disobedient. Now, saved people are disobedient too. So what is this whole spirit of disobedience? Well, a person who is dead to God can walk in sin without conviction. And so they can be rebellious toward God and what he's asking them to do, and it doesn't bother them. You can just walk right into sin, and it doesn't really make that big of a difference to them. Why? Because they're dead to God. But a saved person 
gets involved in sin, and it brings about conviction. It brings about restraint. It brings about an uneasiness in our souls. And so we have to understand that there's a difference between the saved and and the unsaved. Um, And then he says to us uh, that there are actually forces that encourage us to be disobedient. So he says, dear church, sin works against us. Now, what are the forces? Well, he tells us the forces are the world, the devil, and flesh. And so there's a system in the world that works against us. Even after we become responsive to spiritual stimuli, the difference between us and the dead person that we're using in our illustration is that we are alive in Christ now but we still have the old sinful nature that is still living and will until we leave this world. And so there's a, there's the old sinful nature is still like has an appetite for sin, but the new spiritual nature that is now alive toward God does not have a desire and appetite for sin. And so there's a battle, but there's a world system that is um, um, we're living in that causes us and, uh, to try to move away from God and feed that, that fleshly appetite with that sin. An unsaved person, like, They don't have the spiritual side, so they're able to just walk in it, and so they're able to walk in that disobedience, and so the enemy can keep them captive very easily. Um, There's also the the devil himself. Now, does the devil, can he go to every person? No, he's not omnipresent like God. Like God is omnipresent. He can be at all places at all times. But the devil is a created being, and he can only be in one place at one given time. And so, but there are, the scripture again teaches us that there are many fallen angels that follow under his leadership and his reign and rule. The, the scripture even teaches us that he is the ruler of the air. The, and so that's talking about the atmosphere around the earth itself. He rules in that from a spiritual standpoint over people who do not know God. And so he's, he's moving about with these other fallen creatures in whom we cannot see, and he's influencing people uh, all around us. He's influencing us. And so we not only have that, but we also have the flesh. And the, the problem is, is that the flesh likes to rebel against God because it has a sinful nature. Like you have a nature to do things. And so the flesh that still exists even after we're saved has a nature to disobey God, so we're in this battle against this system that is working against us. But the scripture teaches us that Christ was not of this world. Now think of how they tried to get him to do things of this world. If Christ had simply tried to, if he had said, you know what, I'm gonna set up a kingdom, people would have followed him by the masses. But he was not of this world. When Pilate asked him, are you a king? And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. They kept trying to get him to do earthly stuff, but he was always talking about spiritual stuff because he was creating a way for us to enter into relationship with him. And so we look at Christ and we say, man, he is not of this world. Like he is a different human being. The way that he controls his flesh is different than any other human being we've ever experienced. And so we look at him and we say, Christ is not of this world. Well, guess what the New Testament teaches us? We are not of this world. So we are to be like Christ and not of this world, this world system that controls people who are not thinking about the spiritual stuff, the spiritual truth that I'm teaching you today about the Lord himself controlling us. And so we, we, just, we have to understand that, that um, 
We are not of this world, and so we don't live according to the ways of this world. And that's what Paul is saying as we read this passage of Scripture. So unsaved people are disobedient, and they can walk in disobedience without conviction. A saved person, a person who's been born again, cannot walk in sin and enjoy it. An unsaved person, man, can get right down in there in some sin and have a ball. If you are saved and you do that, the Spirit of God is going to bring about conviction in your life, and you're going to feel it. You're going to be like, man, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel depressed? Why do I feel like I'm not motivated? It's probably because you are trying to walk in sin that you know you shouldn't be walking in, and the Lord is trying to get your attention, and you've put yourself in spiritual prison, and he's trying to bring freedom in your life. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so the the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin and to testify of truth for us. And so he convicts us and he testifies of truth in our lives so that we can follow hard after God. And so unsaved people um, not only can easily walk in um, this world, uh, they are depraved. (laughs) Like they are, are, so what does that mean that an unsaved person is, is a depraved person? They are capable of doing good. We know that. We see in the scripture many people who do not know God, know Christ, were doing good. So it does not mean that they are incapable of doing good, but it does mean that they are incapable of pleasing God. See, because we don't please God by our works. We please God by who our identity. And so who we are is what pleases God. And if we are dead in our sins and transgressions, we are dead to spiritual stimuli, then there is no way for us to please the God of the universe. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to see, is that people who are unsaved are incapable of pleasing God. That's why there should be urgency on our part as the people of Christ to see people getting saved. Like getting, Jesus said, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. That's being saved. You're born spiritually. You're no longer just a dead person spiritually. You come to life. That's what the resurrection is all about. And so like we, now now think of how crafty the world system is. You want to know what, like when I talk about devils and demons and all of that stuff, there's a little bit of us and and our intellectualism is like, "Mm, I don't know. I mean, really, is there a devil? Well, why is it so hard for us to talk about people being born again? Why is it so hard for us to look at a person whom we can see in Scripture that we claim is truth? Why is it so hard for us to look at them and realize that they are depraved, incapable of pleasing God, and and the wrath of God is actually reserved for them? That's the next thing Paul teaches us is that unsaved people are doomed. Why is it so difficult? Because the ruler of this world system has conditioned us to say, you shall not talk about these things to other people because they are private. Really? It didn't seem to be too private to Jesus as he hung on the cross and died for the sins of humanity. But we are conditioned to keep all this stuff closed up and hidden, cloaked, because it is a personal thing. 
It is not a personal thing. Jesus commissioned us. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have been released to go make disciples for Christ our King. But the ruler of this world has put us in a position that causes us to be fearful of letting other people know who we really are in Christ. And there's the evidence that the devil, the devil and the demons that we cannot see actually exist. Because if, like, if, they did, if there wasn't a fort, what would be the big deal if we really believe this? Why would it be so hard to talk about it? because there's a force working against it. It's suppressing the truth. Romans chapter two talks about how the, the truth is suppressed and we end up in a, a reprobate state because there's an enemy constantly working. It's like, you look at this, you go, man, whoa, this is tough. Like, what do we do? Well, we see this and we go, man, now I, I, here, I think it'll be cool for us to do this as I've unpacked that. Let's read back through that passage one more time with all that in mind, just so that you know, like this is not Jimmy Holbrook's opinion this is the word of God that was written thousands of years ago that has been preserved and still the most popular book on the planet. Here's what it says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of, us used, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Dear church, sin works against us. Here's the good news. But, but, verse four starts out. When you see a but, that's good news. Okay, <laughs> oh Lord, help me. Dear church, dear church, God works for us. And here's where we see the, the but God. In Ephesians chapter two, verse four, verse nine, but because of his great love, because of his great love, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay? So we look at this, dear church, God works for us. We see God working for us in this passage of Scripture in at least three ways. First of all, it says he loved us. Like he loved us. And then it talks about mercy. Now what is mercy? Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Remember how everyone who's dead in their transgressions and sins are objects of wrath, that we deserve the wrath of God? Well, mercy, when, but God, when he loves us, then he gives us what we, he does not give us what we deserve. So in God's love, as he 
dies on the cross of Calvary, and he extends an invitation to humanity, and he calls us to give our lives to him, and we're born again. In that moment, we do not get what we deserve. Every human being deserves the fiery, hottest of hells, eternal separation from God. Like everyone, every human being that has ever lived on the face of the planet, it doesn't matter who they are, that's what they deserve. But when they are dead in their sins and transgressions and God gives them his love and they receive it, they get mercy in that love. And in that mercy, they do not get what they deserve. But then he also tells us that we receive grace. It says he made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you, you have been saved. Who, he says in verse uh, four, he's rich in his mercy. And so we have the mercy, God not giving us what we deserve, and grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. So he withholds something that we deserve and he gives us something that we do not deserve. And these are the incomparable riches of Christ that we talked about in chapter one, that the wealth of Christ is available to us. And so he loves us. And not only does he love us and by, by not, like, like how do you love someone? You don't give them what they deserve and you do give them what they don't deserve. That's love. That is the love of the Father. And that's why as Paul is laying this out and the Lord is allowing him to see a glimpse into how this thing works, he tells us that we were dead in our sins and transgressions, but God came and loved us by giving us grace and mercy. And he also gives us life. That's what he says. But God, and then he gives us life. Now, Jesus raised three people we have in the Gospels. If you read all four Gospels, you'll see that Jesus raised three people from the dead. So three people were incapable of responding to physical stimuli because they died. One was a widow's son in a funeral procession who there were all these mourners going by. Jesus stops, heals the man, he comes back to life. The other uh, was a man by the name of Jairus, had a daughter who got sick, and he came to Jesus, and he, he asked uh, he, uh, that, that Jesus would heal her, and he tells Jesus, you don't even have to come, just say the word, and he says, I've never seen such great faith. He goes back, his daughter is healed. She was dead to physical stimuli, she comes to life. And then the, the third was um, Lazarus, his best friend. And so Lazarus is dead, he's been dead for several days, I think it's four days, Jesus comes to the tomb, he speaks, he calls Lazarus forth, come forth, Lazarus comes back to life, he's wrapped in grave clothes, which is what they did, and Jesus, as he comes out of the tomb, he says, loose him and let him go. And so in all of these cases, what we see happening is Jesus speaking a word and giving life. And what is the life for? So that and certainly in Lazarus's case, we can see, so he comes back to life and enjoys fellowship with Jesus. When we talk about a sinner hearing the word, like today you're hearing the word. And if you're in that category that I talked about of the unsaved, as you hear the word and respond to the word, it is the word of the Lord. It is not the word. This is why it is so important that you do not go to a church where they just talk to you about, hey, man, um, this is what you need for self-help. You can get that anywhere. 
Like self-help will not give you spiritual life. Like you need the word. And the word is always what brings spiritual life. And so as the word comes forth and it is preached and you receive the word, there is the ability to come to life spiritually. And that's what we mean when a person is born again. And they're born again and come to life for what? To have fellowship with who? Jesus. And where is Jesus? The scripture says he's seated in the heavenly places. And where are you seated if you've come to life? You are seated with him in the heavenly places. This is why Jesus taught us to pray. When you pray, pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like we're already seated with Christ spiritually in a position, God changes our position. So our pleasing of God is not based on what we do. It's based on who we are. And when we realize who we are, we will start doing what we're supposed to do. But there's so many people who have this reversed and they're trying to please God by what they do. You can never please God by what you do. You can only please God by who you are. And the only way to please God is to come to life spiritually. When he draws you unto himself and speaks the word into your life, you receive it and you come to life spiritually and you are no longer part of the unsaved who is dead in their sins and transgressions. You are alive in Christ and now you can fellowship with him. And this is why it is so essential when our position is changed and we are now alive, we learn to abide in Christ. Like we learn to get in the word and develop a, a the, the, like we develop the ability to read the word in a disciplined fashion and receive it because we realize in doing that, we are fellowshipping with Jesus because he is the one who is behind the word. He is God in the flesh and he has risen from the dead. He has given us new life and he lives in us. And so we read the word. Now, this thing, good chance I'm gonna give up on it, okay? It's hard. And like the, the return on the investment like the greatest thing I have going for it is spending time with my kids, but I can find other ways to do that. And so I don't know if I will make it, but it's hard. And there are some people who understand the joy of NBA 2K18. There are some people who don't. <laughs> I'm trying. There are some people who understand the joy of abiding with Jesus. And there are some people who don't. I'm gonna tell you the ROI on abiding with Jesus far outweighs any earthly experience. It is difficult to be disciplined and get there, to trust the Lord and allow him to take you through a journey, to respond in obedience when he calls you to walk something out in your life. It could be difficult, but the joy in it is absolutely, it's out of this world, which is what you are because you were dead in your sins and transgressions, but he changed your position and seated you with Christ in the heavenly places. And if you don't start figuring out how to live that way, you're going to be a miserable creature because you're trying to live in a world that you were not made for. <laughs> I can't find time to read my Bible, Pastor. Prayer is hard for me. Every time I pray, I start getting distracted. Guess what? There is a force that is distracting you because it knows the more in tune you get with Christ and fellowshipping with him, the more dangerous you are to his kingdom and rescuing people who are outside of it. So when we say that we love the lost, the greatest thing that we could do to love the lost is abide with Christ so that we have a life to offer them. 
so that when we encounter them, they see that they are not interacting with another person who is dead in their sins and transgressions, but they are interacting with a person whose position has been changed by God, not based upon what they do, but based upon who they are because they've come to life and they're responding to the spiritual stimuli of God. And this dead person recognizes immediately, I do not respond to spiritual stimuli like this person does. And I want some of that. And through us, the church, the body of Christ, the world can be reached. And so when it comes to reaching and loving people, man, like we got to know how to sit with the Lord so that he can lead us to the people that he's trying to rescue. Dear church, God works for us. Dear church, God works in us. It just keeps getting better. He doesn't only work um, as we have sin working against us and and God working for us and God working um, uh, in us. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, the first part of verse 10, for we are God's handiwork. Why does he do this? Because we are his handiwork. Now, God works through us in, in three ways. And the first one is the word. That's right. I mean, I'm, okay. My motive as a pastor is to get you to experience the most freedom that you could possibly experience in your life and to be a tool for the Lord himself. It's so like, when I'm, when I'm constantly trying to tell you, like, you gotta get in the word, you gotta have a regular time in the word, look at what 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which indeed is at work in you who believe. Like it, 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 when we get in it, it just does work. It does work. It does so much more work than a sermon could ever do. Like the word will go to work on you like, like nothing else. And what are you? You are the handiwork of God. And God, how does God want to work that out in your life? By you getting in the word. The second is prayer. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. When we're in the word and we're listening to him, and we understand our position, that we're seated with him in heavenly places, and he's calling us to a life of obedience, and we trust him in that obedience, and we obey him in what he's calling us to obey in, then we see the freedom break out in our lives, and it it puts us in this cycle of wanting to talk to him more in prayer because we want to praise him for what he's just done, and we see movement that is out of this world, and now we are not blinded by the God of this world who gets us distracted by all of the things that we can see physically, and we're beginning to see things spiritually because the word is at work in us and we're talking to Jesus who has brought us back to life when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. We are now able to respond to spiritual stimuli. So we need spiritual stimuli. That's why we abide. Because we gotta have the stimuli. And, and we're fellowshipping with Jesus. And not only that, and here's where it gets difficult. We do it through the word, through prayer, and through suffering. That's right, suffering. God uses suffering to make us into the people that he wants us to be. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed 
when his glory is revealed. Now, why does God allow suffering? Because it drives us right back to the word, which drives us right back to prayer, which helps us to glorify God. And so we, like, when we get saved, even though we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, it doesn't mean that we don't suffer in this world that um, is controlled and run by an enemy that is opposed to the kingdom of Christ. As a matter of fact, sometimes it means we will suffer more than the people who do not belong to the kingdom because we're trying to follow the Lord and be obedient to him. And so God uses these three things to work in us, the word and prayer and our suffering. And he brings us through these things and and, and it's kind of a cycle that continues to drive us back to these places and help us become the people that Christ wants us to be. Here's the final one. Dear church, God works through us. God works for us, he works in us, and he works through us. Look at the last part of uh, verse 10. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, we were created in Christ. Every man is created in Adam. Adam is the first person. He brought physical life. God creates him, and all men are created in Adam. All men are not created in Christ. And that is the difference between the saved and the lost, the unsaved and the saved. Yeah, as you look at them and, and all are created in Adam. But we are recreated or created, I would say, in spiritual life. That's why the Bible uses the terminology born again. Just like you were born physically, you're born spiritually in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. You're born again. And now because you are born again, you um, uh, you are, are, are available to do good works. So we don't do good works to get right with God. God does a work in our lives. We become alive spiritually. We can respond to spiritual stimuli. And then we start doing good works. And so there are some religions that will teach you that in order to make it into heaven, you need to do these five things. That's not what the scripture teaches. In order to get into heaven, you need to be born spiritually, which is a work of God. And you need to respond to that truth when God offers that invitation. And somehow God, through his sovereignty, has ordained free will where we can respond to the invitation that he gives for us to come alive spiritually. And when we come alive spiritually, we are created in Christ to do good works that were ordained before the creation of the world, which means God has a specific plan for your life that he wants you to live out. And if you want to see it through its fulfillment and live the greatest abundant life that Jesus talked about in John chapter 10, verse 10. You gotta be in the word, you gotta be praying and you gotta understand that when you're going through fiery ordeals and trials, God is stretching you and making you into the person that he wants you to be so that your container becomes larger and you can contain more of Christ in your life, more of the Holy Spirit. This is why the the Bible teaches us a difference between the indwelling of the spirit and the filling of the Spirit. All believers are indwelt, but not all believers walk in the fullness of the Spirit. But you know when you encounter a believer who is filled with the Spirit. Like, you, you know, man. And, and, and so that's the way we're all supposed to be living. The Bible teaches us specifically, be not drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Like, be filled with the Spirit. And so when we, when we begin to see this, what's amazing is you can contrast 
this verse and 10 with verse 2. And what you see is an unbeliever has Satan working in him and his work is no good. A believer has God working in him and his works are good. It's all about the Lord. And so we can't, it's not about like helping poor people and saving puppies and some people do that and some people don't. And so all of a sudden you're pleasing to God. No, like if you know Jesus, you should help poor people and save puppies, right? Like your character should be changed. But, but that's not what makes you right with Christ. Life is all about Jesus. So here's the big idea. Dear church, you are a work of art. <laughs> so here's our position in Christ. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Christ is an artist. And so you could just imagine that in Christ, because he is God omnipotent in the heavenlies, we are seated with him and he has canvases all around him. The word workmanship that we have here in this um, uh, uh, passage of scripture, that we are uh, a, a work of Christ, it comes from, or the word handiwork, some translations use workmanship. It comes from the Greek word poeme. It's where we get our word poem. And so you can picture that Christ is sitting up in heaven. You are seated with Christ in heaven positionally. Your canvas is with him. And as you walk out in obedience in this physical canvas, the Lord Jesus is able to paint on your spiritual canvas and you are a work of art. The problem is, is our lack of understanding of who we are keeps us from supplying Jesus with the paint where we're positioned. You see, God has worked for you. So the idea Paul is trying to get us to see is let him work in you and through you to bring him glory. And that's what life is all about. You and I are works of art. But how focused are we on the Lord painting on our lives as opposed to us trying to dress up this thing we can see? You see, the devil and this world system and our flesh is trying to distract us and to get us to work on this and forget about that. And Jesus has died to work on that and forget about this. And until you learn that lesson, you'll have no spiritual freedom and victory in your life. This is why Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must die to yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.